Honest Tea, how are ye? Welcome back to the Candlelit Tales podcast. This week we are taking a break from our Tawn Mosaic series to bring you a story of the goddess and saint whose day this is. We'll be resuming with the Tawn next week and you can find our conversation about this podcast over on our Patreon. That's on patreon.com forward slash Candlelit Tales where myself and Aaron had a lovely chat about the goddess and what she means to us. If you want to support this podcast, you can do so by liking, commenting, subscribing and sharing. But for now, Aaron, tell us a story. The dark, cold air touched her skin. Pale and bright, her eyes fluttered open, revealing emerald eyes that looked to a darkening sky. The first light coming through and washing a pale light over the surrounding hills. Where a war would be waged very soon. She turned and her hair flowing red fell down around her cloak. Two oxen munched slowly on the grass below their feet. Of course, she knew them by name at this stage. Mag Fay and Mag Fawn. The two oxen that had carried her all along, feeding beautiful milk whenever she needed, so that she could give it away. Whenever she wanted, she could, and often did give whatever she had away to those who needed it. But this day she was preparing preparing like many of the others around her for a fight that would come. On the plains of Moitura, the hillsides and the landscape that had seen the first battle of Moitura, where the bards and poets had stood on tall pillars to recount and retell the story of how the fear bulk had fell and fallen to the victorious Tua Dei the god-like people of Danu, who had come to this land after being in the northern lands of Morius, Glorious, Phantheus and Phileus, where her people had learnt the power and magic of the other world, and how to step inside and through the veil which was always present, always there, and how to evoke an awareness of all the times that I collected together in this one moment. And so she stared at her hands that were holding a sword she had forged long before, with metal and fire and hammer and tongs. She had plunged the hot metal into the cooling water, the smoke, and steam that had filled the room had seemed to make it all come together, every element of earth and metal, fire, water, and the evaporation all around the air. She stared now at her sword, coming from long ago and forged in her fires. And she knew she would have to use this blade today too, for vengeance, for fury, for defence of her land and her people. Although, 
she was very split in two for having to do this deed. Half of her heart was on the other side after all. Her son, fighting against her, Ruadon. She had loved Bress the Beautiful, although very selective with who she gave her love to, this godlike being, this red-haired, beautiful Bridget, knew that she had acted impulsively in her youth, and the love that she had felt for Bress, the beautiful, and he was truly a beautiful man, so beautiful he was that they called things after him that were beautiful, a Bress. He was elegant and strong, pale and dark, steaming eyes that seemed to surprise her in every glance. And they had loved each other for a while, but Bress had made terrible plans for holding the land hostage and putting the great heroes to task, toiling them and breaking their backs over the many taxes he imposed upon those people. And so he was disposed, but he went to the Fuimura, the Formorians, the people from under the sea. And Bress brought Balor of the Evil Eye to bring about the destruction of Ireland, as they had a claim to this land, which went long before the two a day had got here. But they'd been on the land, surviving, settling, creating culture, their stories ripe and worth spreading. But only now she knew she had to fight against this imposing power, a dominating faction that would take over the land and destroy all she held dear. She lifted her head and walked to look around the camp that was slowly being illuminated by the first shafts of sunlight on this cold spring morning. She saw Gobnu the smith working the metal in the early fires that he was feeding now full with logs and wood to be used throughout the day to keep that cold bite away. She saw Dean Kecht, the physician and healer of the two a day, digging great ponds, filling them with herbs for healing for the fighting to come. She saw Anya, the brilliant and beautiful, crafty one of the two a day, who was so frivolous and offered her love so freely to many, a display of outrageous love and courtesy sometimes. She smiled notice the difference between them and she felt the presence of Bamba, Fola, Eru just at the back somewhere close behind although she did not know where and then Bavmaka and Anand the Marignu some say it was her mother who flew to the skies in her feather cloaks the ravens, the crows those that were cawing, instilling such a waking hour that everyone would know a war was coming with the murder of crows that set their wings beating before the drums went rolling. And Bridget, Breed, Bridget. She had her cloak tied 
fast around her shoulders. And as she went, she picked up reeds and began to twine them around, her hands always making something, and unknowing to her, she tossed those reeds to the side. That cross, equal in every four corners, was made so easily a display of a well-practiced arrangement she was used to doing. And she saw Lou, Savaldonak, the Ildonak, the master of all, a newcomer to the army, only recently, and seeing as this had been a seven-year preparation for this war, Lou had only come a few days before, and yet was ordering, marshalling, asking questions, and putting people in places. He was protected by a group of men, all armed to the teeth. And when he rose and walked slowly, they rose and walked with him, protecting him. For they were outnumbered. They were outmassed, outmanned and outarmed in every way. The Fuimura were fearsome, had monsters from the depths of the sea to come and attack and lay them low as well as having so many from the north, the Lachlanites and the seven factions of the kings of the Fuimura, from undersea and Tory Island they came and they would lay waste to the two a day, with the help, Balor of the evil eye. But Bridget smiled in knowing that they had a chance. After all, the prophecy was for the Ildonok, the Savaldonok, to be the only one who could kill Balor. No other man, woman, or warrior would ever defeat the evil eye of Balor. But they had a chance with Lou. And in that moment, her mind started making a connection, a poetic inspiration an imbus was flared and she suddenly saw Lou striding forward through the early sunlight his golden hair shining like the sun itself and she heard the song not yet written and she sensed the stories that would be spoken and told about him she seemed to have visions of paintings illustrations carvings and murals of this godlike man who would make such a stand on this day as the people of this land would never forget and would bring about a month to remember him and his name, the gathering of Lu and Lu Nasa. She was prone to these visions of the future, poetic ramblings going around in her head and she couldn't help but play with the words that fell together in order for her to create and make sense of the darkening horizon. Despite the sun's flare, there were dark storm clouds all over the sky there. She looked once more to her sword at her side and she wondered how she would ever fight this day with all of the sadness that she had in her heart for her own son to be fighting against her. Someone offered her an apple 
and she took it and turned and handed it to someone else in an instant. It was often her way. Gifts given were given away. She smiled to show appreciation and thanks and smiled and nodded her head to gift the apple away. Something that was not hers but free to give. And as she walked, she felt her cloak around her shoulders and as she shrugged it, the clouds in the sky seemed to come together that bit closer, dimming the light of the sun that was trying to break through. And she grounded herself as she breathed, slowly, and she felt a breath of air push against the back of her neck, seeming to push her forwards and towards the army coming from the coast. She sensed the water underneath her feet, the water of the rivers and lakes. And in this land that was so full of water, she took a moment to connect her feet into the ground, to sense her own waters that were mingling and mixing with the waters below. And all of the druids and all of the poets on their high stones, they began cast spells, spells for the water of the land to turn away from the Formorians. She saw, take to the sky, three crows, Bavmaka Maragu, she thought, and the shrieking they set up was so fierce, no one could sleep through it, everyone was woken, a fire was falling down on the horizon, spreading from their wings droplets of fire and droplets of blood, pouring down on the armies below, to strike fear into their hearts for the fighting to come. They were outnumbered, outmatched in many ways, but the two a day, they had Lou, and they had their magic, and they would not make this an easy fight for the Fuimura. She turned and saw Turin, the king of the boars, standing, staring, firmly breathing. This king of the boars was granting her a good omen on the morning of her battle. She wondered how good any battle could be, even with this blessing from the king of the boars. She nodded her thanks and his heavy head turned as he shuffled and wandered back the way he had come. She was gracious all the same. And then the Dagda struck the chords on his harp and the drums were sounded and Gobnu gave the order to march. Lou from behind the heroes of the two a day marching and going into the fight. And for three days and three nights the battle was fought in the plains of Moitura, and it was gruesome and heavy, and Bridget fought within it, with skill and with grace, with timing and fierceness, she faced everything the Fuimura threw at her, and each day the two a day would bring back their hurt, their wounded, and their dead, 
Dean Kecht would do his best to revive, restore and reheal those he could. And Bridget helped with her healing hands. She placed those on wounds, took the waters from his baths from the rivers and helped heal those that came to her that were in need of her power. She gave her love freely, nurturing, kind, giving. She had no such nurturing in her early years. That illuminating sun each morning reminding her of the pillar of fire that leapt from her forehead the moment she was born, those first rays of sunlight whenever she felt them. She felt connected to the power of the sun, that fire that was outside and inside herself felt strongly too. And so she gave it to those who needed it. Because she had got no such fondness from her own mother, she had got no such nurturing, no caring, no giving. Some say it was Boan was her mother, Owen had been a lover of the Dagda, her father for sure, and she had turned into a river after staring into the well of wisdom, ran away and became the Boine, the river Boan. Although Bridget didn't know, because she had been suckled by cows in the other world, red ears and white. These beautiful cows had nurtured her when her mother was no longer there. Some said it was the Morrigan had slept with the Dagda before the first battle of Moitura, and that's how her birth had been brought about. Either way, she had no mother because the Morrigan did not have a maternal instinct, for most at least. And so she had always offered her love, affection, healing, gifts and giving freely, with abundance. And she found the more she gave, the more she felt. The more she gave it away, the more the abundance of love built up in her to be able to give it away. Although she had nurtured and loved her son Ruadon, so much she had loved and suckled and kept and calmed and soothed and eased. She gave everything into this child. But she had so much to give. There was not a thing that she would not give to anyone in need. Perhaps this was part of the reason why he had strayed from her. Perhaps part of the reason why he did not feel special in her eyes, although he was. A tear almost lodged in the corner of her eye as she sent healing hands down to an injury below her. These long three days and three nights had gone on, and soon they felt the tide would turn and the two a day might win out the day. But the sunlight of the final day of the battle landed on her forehead, opened Bridget's eyes, and she felt that sense of fire being lifted onto her forehead, almost a column expanding up into the clouds of fire 
feeling hot and cold the same time she opened her eyes to see a swirling cloud overhead. No column of fire, just memories from long ago. And so this was the final day of the battle and she knew it would be. Whether or not they were destroyed by Balor's eye, or whether they would reach and survive another day, she did not know. But she placed her hands onto the sword she had forged. She drew it from its sheath as she looked around and saw the rest of the two a day wipe off their injuries and prepare for the battle that day. The Dagda, who had played music the night before for all of them to fall and grieve and sleep and restore their strength, now played music to encourage and revive and restore some hope and faith for this battle to be won and Bridget's heart beat with the sound of the drum. And she went quickly into the fight, cutting and moving and slaying. And when Lou jumped through the battlefield and threw his stone high over into the sky, she saw that Balor of the Evil Eye was preparing to look upon the army down below, but it was Lou's slingshot that hit on through Balor's eye, destroying his head and creating a hole in the landscape and the hill of Loch Nassul, a lake where water of poisonous, posthumous strength oozed and leaked fumes falling all around it. But the fight was not over. The fight was not finished. The Formorians still kept fighting and coming and clashing, and there she saw him. Ruadon, her son, fighting close in contact with Gubnu the smith and he struck at Gubnu who parried and landed his sword inside his belly she saw the blooded point stick straight through Rodon's back he fell she fell to her knees he breathed out in anguish she cried a scream that ripped through the battlefield He fell, his face hitting the mud. She crawled closer to him, and she breathed not until he breathed his last. And in that moment when his empty eyes saw no life in them anymore, her heart began to break and crumble. And she held and she rocked. And as she began to breathe again after that moment when she stopped all breath, she intook a lung full and the exhale came out in a weeping plead of grief and agony and soreness and heartbreak and weeping and sheer tragedy of all of the pain and loss she felt. This grief stopped the fight. This sound of such mourning, such hopelessness, made everyone fall to their knees, drop their swords, and feel the power of her grief. And Bridget, she rocked, and she wailed, 
and she closed her eyes and in this moment she saw all of the moments come together and collide Rudon as her own baby who she had suckled and kept and soothed who had walked and stumbled and began to forge his own way in life and now fought to fall right here on the ground and she saw all of the times as well in this land of all of the grief and all of the pain and how this land would contain such grief and tragedy starvation and death how the stories would be repeated again and again of war waged against others from places both near and far of peoples fighting over different theories of how the world worked of people claiming land over others who had been there before them of people with bigger weapons and forcing innocence into servitude of people fighting against this and being battered down of innocence dying of children women and men all losing their lives and in the hopelessness of it all she saw a flicker and a flame and a fire and in the depths of her grief in the harshness of the pain she could not hold on to she found that flame that flame that was both inside her and outside in the sun that hit her face that warm embrace and she felt connected to every fire that would be lit on this land every time the spring came about with the warmth of the sun she knew the imbus was being fed too and those stories of hope of generosity of caring of healing of gift giving of strength of survival of forging a new way to face the pain of each day they would be maintained around the fire and she felt a connection to her name as she heard it again and again on the lips of storytellers and poets of musicians and singers of those who would go to the oak trees and find her fire there in the depths of despair people would find her there in amongst the oak trees and she felt the leaves falling on the ground the ground which held so much water as the sound of rain fell all around her and her tears fell like raindrops falling into the water that would be caught and catched by this land that would make holes and pockets and parts of this ways to find water in the wells of this land she saw people tapping into the sacred belly of this earth and pulling out that resource of water that was clean and giving an ever cleaning and cleansing sustaining a way to maintain their strength by going to the water and finding her there and she saw the ways this would work she saw and she grieved for it too a time of passing for her people to go underground and be forgotten about for her to be forgotten about 
she would be all but forgotten. But there would be a trace of her presence, of her being, and of her power for those who sought her out, who wished to connect. She would stay. And as she keened, as she wailed, as she wept, full of pain, full of grief, she also saw and sensed some form of hope. For although the stories would be repeated, for although the pain would be insurmountably multiplied from generation to generation, she saw so many more wars and so many more ways that people would claim land and force the hand of power and judgment and war onto those that were innocent and not able to fight against it, she also saw there would be those who would attempt to share these stories of connection and hope, of coming together and feeling the devastation wrought from both sides of any fighting, of how fighting can only lead on to more fighting, and for the hope that people can see each other as fully people and settle these things aside in ways that new stories can be made for old gods, in ways that we are intrinsically linked to inform the mystical and the magical and how the mystical and magical will and can inform all of us. Bridget breathed into knowing that hope can be shared through stories and connection can be built through listening to others. And in her deepest, darkest hour, the godlike Bridget, a being of pure light and grief and darkness, found something to be hopeful for. And she left that day after creating the tradition of keening, which was brought on and used for all of those who could not hold on to grief, to allow their suffering some form of place to be heard and felt. And Bridget walked away, feeling her feet softly land on grass, though devastated and destroyed. She walked away and people say that flowers grew up from her footprints, small snowdrops and white petals, yellow and red, small flowers that broke through the surface from her pain and her loss, something beautiful to be born. And in Bridget's mind's eye, she asked the question, how will those who follow on in these footsteps connect to their own imbus, their own strength? How will they find me, she asked. Because she knew she would meet everyone multiple times and she would stay here in this land in the fires in the embers in the oak forests in the trees in the waterways in the wells you would find a sense a drop of her original source and how will you connect to Bridget this day on Imbolc